So, hey, with that, we do want to finish up on time today uh, because of the said potluck and setup and so forth. So I'm going to do my best, jam through this. We may or may not, you know, be able to do a normal ending like we do. We might have to just like pray and go. But uh, I promised people that we'd be done at 1030. We've been talking, if you have not been here, series lately is called uh, Religion and Relationship. You decide. Um, those that have been here, uh, I, I, I don't know. I hope this has been helpful to you. To me, it's, it's important. I, I think what we've been talking about is huge. It's so vital in terms of our growth as Christians and our understanding. So uh, I just hope that you've been able to embrace and capture some of that. I'm going to sort of begin wrapping it up today, this series. It's a, I have actually a two-part conclusion. Today's part one. We've talked about, we, we started with the beginning of religion, if you remember that. We looked at uh, the beginning, uh, you know, of Genesis and, and Adam and Eve in the garden and they ate from the wrong tree and got exiled and, and everything kind of unraveled and went downhill from there. So that was sort of the beginning of religion. And then we, and I'm not going to repeat all the finer details. Most of those messages are online, I think, and you can hear them if you, if you so desire. Um, you don't get to see me, which is... It's much less enjoyable, I'm sure, but um, we could. Second part of the series was the we went from the origin of religion to the evolution of religion, and we continued in Genesis uh, talking a little bit about Cain and Abel, and uh, Cain, you know, with the understanding or belief that he could rectify this problem. That, that he could somehow fix it and, and uh, tried to bring an offering to God and ended up uh, not ending well. And the idea behind the, origin, or the uh, evolution of religion was simply that, no, God doesn't need our sacrifices. He doesn't want those sacrifices. What God wants really is relationship. He wants relationship with you and I, with his people. He wants us to live our lives in him. That's the bottom line in this whole message. God doesn't need our stuff. Some, you know, was, this morning we worship, we give an offering to God, but again, the, the, the distinction is not because we have to, not because we need to, not to appease God, simply to say we love you. God, what God wants, he doesn't want a sacrifice from us, he wants a relationship with us, he wants us to come into his presence. That's what worship's about, that's really what our, our Christian life is about, and that's why the bottom line really in that, in that second part of the message was, Gratitude is the only appropriate response to grace. And I suppose if you don't remember anything else from this series, maybe latch on to that. Gratitude is the only appropriate response to grace. God is so good to us. That's really it. That's all we can do. We can't give him back. We can't outgive God. You'll never, ever be able to do that. All we can really do is stand back and on and say, thank you, thank you, thank you so, so much. Um, the, the, the reality is this. We don't, we don't need to do anything to get to God. God is here. God is with us. God came to us. We don't have to do anything to try to get to him. He's here with us, and, and he transcends time and space. God is with us everywhere all the time. We don't have to. It's, it's good, and I hope you caught on to this a little bit in the series too. It's really great to come together because we get to celebrate with other little image bearers of God, who he is and what he does when we come together. But... He's not just here. God isn't just in church. He's wherever we are. He goes with us. He's in your car driving down the road. 
He's at home when you wake up in the morning, when you go to sleep at night. He's at your office or your place of work. He's with you everywhere you go. That's, that's what it's all about. Real quick, I want to share a verse uh, as we get started today. We'll, we'll officially start in a minute, but, you know, whatever. Uh, it, it, it just keeps coming up. I think uh, at our home group Monday night, maybe Wally uh, shared this or pray with somebody, but I think two or three times this week in different ways, different people, or I think I, it might have popped up on my phone as a daily verse or something once this week. Verse, you know how it just you ever have that experience? just keep coming up, uh, and it's good. This is good stuff. 1 Thessalonians 5, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks. When do you give thanks? All circumstances. This is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. What is God's will for my life? Anybody ever wrestle with that question? Anybody ever wonder, what is God's will for my I don't know what, I'm, God, what is God's will for my life? I told you a few weeks ago, I was going to unlock the mysteries of the Bible. Are you laughing at me? What is God's will for my life? I'm going to tell you today what God's will for your life is. You ready? Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's God's will for your life. Beyond that, let me say this. God gives us choices. He created us in His image. We are image bearers of God. We look like Him. We, are, we, we in, in so many ways, are like God. He gave us the opportunity, the privilege, the blessing, the responsibility of making choices. Um, and here's the cool, this, this is so important. If your heart is right, the whole thing is God just says, live, live in me, live right, live, in, you know, live, live well, live in me, live in love. If our heart is right, if we're living in God, guess what? You'll make better choices. It's amazing. When your heart gets out of sync with God, you start going the wrong direction in life. You make bad choices. Can I tell you something? Bad choices beget bad choices. You ever notice that? You make a bad choice, and the next thing you know, you try to fix that bad choice by making another bad choice, and somehow it just it doesn't go well. You make good choices in God, and, and the same thing happens the other direction. A good choice leads to another good choice to another good choice, and you make better choices. I want to be a, a little bit pastoral for a minute if I can. Is that okay? No. And I want to... I might challenge some of you a little bit on this, okay? I realize that it might, might burst some people's bubbles, but I'm going to do it because I just think it's important. I have seen this happen so many times. I'm such a star, a paparazzi. Be like Bieber, I'll come after you. Uh, I, how do I know that? I don't know how I know that. God. Uh, here's a, please, please stay with me. We've got to be done on time today. I have seen Christians many, many times become somewhat paralyzed with over-concern. You know, I'm gonna, I'm be, just stay with me. Don't, don't go like this and get upset. Over-concern about God's will for their lives. How can you be too concerned about God's will for your life? Well, here's the thing. Sometimes God gives us choices, and some choices, God doesn't 
have a, a will for that choice. There's no real right or wrong answer. And we become paralyzed with fear that we're going to make the wrong choice and be somehow out of God's will. You know, which job do I take? Which school do I go to? What major? What car do I buy? Where do I move? So even things like what person do I marry? I'm sorry. I'm going to say this. Don't get mad. Some choices, there, there is a, a moral and an immoral answer to that choice. In that situation, there is a right choice and a wrong choice. There's a good choice and there's a bad choice. There's a choice that is in God's will and one that's not in God's will. But most of the choices that we make, most of the time, are not moral or immoral. They're amoral. And, and, and at the end of the day, God's okay with either one. He's given us a brain to think. He's given us wisdom. He's given us all He is. And, and He'll bless us, his, his heart, His will. Rejoice always. Pray continually, give thanks, and I'll bless you in either one of those choices. Live your life right, live your life in love, and I'll bless you either way you go. It's okay. You don't have to sweat over my will. That, I want you guys to know something. That is, that's the heart of God, and that is a very irreligious way to live. That's an irreligious, biblically speaking, that's an irreligious perspective on life. Because here's the thing. I've watched people that get paralyzed with that fear of making the wrong decision in the will of God. And it's a heavy yoke. It's a heavy burden. They're weighed down under that. Jesus says, no, no, no. Take my yoke. Take my burden. It's light. It's easy. Walk with me and I'll help you carry that. It's really, it's a totally, totally different perspective on life. It really is. And I just, I know that that might tweak some of you a little bit, but I want you just to, to think about it, pray about it a little bit, contemplate on that. I really believe so many times God's will is that we walk with him, that we love him. If we're doing that, he'll, 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 he'll help you out along the way. And those little choices, they're up to you. God says, hey, look, you know, it doesn't matter. Go, go take this job or that job. I'll, I'll put you there. I'll bless you. I'll bless you in that place. Walk with me. I'll walk with you. That's how this thing works. Wow. I don't know. Sometimes I just get worked up. Uh, so with that, today I want to talk about the end of religion. End of religion. <laughs> no more. Uh, and we're going to look at John chapter 5. I'm not even going to pray because we're already going. But I want you to do something with me today. Can we play a little game? Have a little fun? You guys okay? You with that? Here's what I want you to do. Pretend. Let's pretend that we are a First century church. It's maybe, I don't know, 30, 40 years, 50 years after Jesus. And so we wouldn't be in this building. We'd be in a house somewhere, somebody's house, meeting in a house, first century church. Uh, You guys wouldn't all have your own Bibles, although most of you don't have your own Bibles anyway. Just saying. Uh, But you wouldn't have your own Bibles because... you don't have your own Bibles. You don't have them. There's not that many out there. There's a few. They're not all put together. There's scrolls. There's scrolls of the different writings. They've not been compiled yet. There's not very many of those. There's a few out there floating around. They go from church to church. Today, today, we are so lucky. We're so blessed. We have one of the scrolls from the Apostle John. Somebody down at a, a church in the next city over had it, and they read it last week, and they said, hey, we're going to take this to our friends up here uh, in Tiger today, and they, they brought the scroll up. So today we've got one of the scrolls from the Apostle John here with us today. 
and we're going to read it together. We only got one copy. I'm going to read it out loud. Some of you guys might not even be able to read, so, uh, you know, no, no, no problem. We'll work on that. But I'm going to read it out loud to you, and, and we're going to talk about Jesus. It's so awesome to have this today. So most of us would have probably come from a Jewish background, so we understand religion. We understand the law. We know what that means. Um, maybe some of us have heard the, this story before. It would have been told to us. We wouldn't have read it. It would have been passed on and passed on person to person. That's how those stories traveled. Uh, maybe some of us never heard it before. Maybe we're new here today. Maybe some of us are new Christians. We've just become Christ followers recently. Maybe we're not Jewish. Maybe you come from a Roman background or a Greek background. If you were Roman or Greek, you probably also understand religion a little bit. You would have been maybe involved in a, in a pagan religion. Um, but you, you still would understand uh, th- things like sacrifice and, and, and things like the temple and the law. and You'd, you'd know what those things mean. Uh, so so it, this might be different, unusual, kind of <clears throat> new to hear these stories today. So just play with me a little bit. First century, I walked down to Starbucks, got my coffee. That would be one of the things about living... People always go, I wish I lived back in the days. I go, no, I don't. I, there's no Starbucks. Um, I'm going to read the scroll from John, and we're excited today to have this. So just play with me. First century church. We're going to read this together. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. And here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, and he learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I... I have no one to help me get in the pool when the water is stirred. I'm trying to get in. Someone goes ahead of me. They had a, a belief, a tradition that the waters would stir sometimes and that it was an angel causing that to happen. And when the angel would stir the water, whoever got in first would get healed. That's how it worked. That was what they believed. That's why he says this. He's sad. He's been there a long time, 38 years. Never been able to get in the water first. My guess is he's not ever going to be able to get in the water first. Jesus said to him, Get up. Pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. That is awesome. That is powerful. That is so amazing. That is unbelievable. I can't, 38 years and Jesus just says, pick up your mat. That's the most amazing thing. People would be, oh, that is so incredibly cool, this Jesus guy. And then, and then, here's what happens next. Let's just say I keep reading. I get to the next line. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. Oh, wait a minute. Hold on. Time out. What? What? No, 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 no. That can't happen. That can't happen. He didn't say that. Tell me he didn't say that. One second, we are awed and amazed that Jesus spoke to a guy that had been there for 38 years and he got up and walked. And the next minute, we are aghast because 
He did that on the Sabbath. You can't do that. That's a bad thing. Jesus is not only breaking the Sabbath, he's telling this guy to break the Sabbath. Pick up your mat and walk. You can't do that. You can't carry stuff on the Sabbath. That is a bad, bad thing. I love John. He's such a great storyteller. I love that. He tells the healing first and then the punchline. Bam. This wonderful thing happens, but it happened on the Sabbath day. So just imagine first century church, you heard that. You would. You'd really be in one second, you would be so stoked, so awed that Jesus could heal this guy. And then the next second, you'd be go, I, 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 no, I can't believe he did that on the Sabbath. That's, that's not in the fine print. That's on page one of the contract. That's in the Ten Commandments. He can't do that. Jesus tells this guy, I want you to not only get up and walk, but I want you to carry your stuff around with you on the Sabbath day. You see, first century church, everyone in the room right now would be going, ooh, oh my, oh my. See, Jesus intentionally, he intentionally performs miracles in such a way that they have an anti-religious message embedded right in them. That's how his miracles work. They have an anti-religious message embedded right in the miracle. Uh, Jesus is saying, time's up, game over, no more religion. That day is gone. There's a new sheriff in town. His name is Grace, and he's in me. We're not going to play that religious game anymore. We're done with that. You're not going to find this grace in your religious system. This grace is found only in me and in relationship with me. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the religious people of the day, they are not happy with this. They find the guy. They interrogate him. They question him. They, he doesn't know. The poor guy. He got, I don't know. The guy told me to walk. I walked. That's all I know. I don't know who he is. I don't know where he went. And they, they don't get the answers they want from him, so they interrogate Jesus. They find Jesus. They track him down, and they ask him some questions. I, this is just like, what? Because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. Persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at work to this very day. I too am working. Do you know he could have said some other things there? He could have kind of, you know, been a politician and sort of massaged that a little bit. But no, what does he do? He uses the word work intentionally, very, very intentionally. My father is always working, and I'm working too. Uh, Jesus, this was not an oversight. This was not a mistake. This is in your face. Here's what I think about your system, your religion, your laws, your rules. I, (laughs) secret, I made the rules. I, I wrote the book. I transcend the law. I have an authority that's above the law. I'm bigger than that. And now I'm establishing a new covenant. That covenant is over. I'm establishing a new covenant today. This covenant says, by my grace, I'll walk with people. I'll live with people. And I'll heal people whenever and wherever I want. A little bit later, and I'm going to try to finish up pretty quick. (laughs) Jesus gives them some of the best advice, best counsel ever given by anyone to anyone, anywhere, anytime. This is good stuff. Uh, 
I, I would jot this down if you're a note taker. I, t- I, t- I actually tore the tendon in my thumb. I, I don't text that much, but I... I don't know how it happened. Okay, here's what he says, verses 39 and 40. We're skipping ahead a little bit because of time. You study the scriptures diligently. He's talking to the Pharisees. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Oh, man. That's some good stuff right there. See, religious people, here's your problem. You study the scripture as the end game. You think it's going to save you. The Bible doesn't save you. The Bible is a story, and it's a story that culminates in a person. If you see the Bible only as this holy book that you study and learn from and do what it says, you've missed the whole point. You can become the most scripturally literate, theologically sound person on the planet. You can have all of your little doctrinal ducks in a row, and you know what? Congratulations, at that point you've graduated to the level of Pharisee. You can study and memorize and meditate all day long. If it doesn't cause you to enter into relationship with me, you've missed the point. We study the Scripture to find Jesus. We study the Scripture to have an encounter with Jesus. Martin Luther said, as a baby goes to his mother for milk, we go to the Bible to find Jesus. The life is in Jesus. It's not just find, you know, read it, do it, find it. it, That's not it. That's not the end. There's a bumper sticker. I'm going to really just upset everyone today. Uh, You know, Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. Uh, Okay, that sounds so holy. It sounds so righteous. It sounds so biblical. But at the end of the day, you may well have missed the the point. No, no, no. Bible says it. It's, it, it really leads us to Jesus. The Bible is a place we go to help us have an encounter with the living God. That's what we read it for. We go there to find Jesus. We looked at Hebrews 8, uh, 8.13 last week. We'll review it really quickly. By calling the new covenant, by calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. Think about this for a minute. You know, a little, here's, a, here's a brain tweaker that the Bible calls part of its own self obsolete. Its own self? Yeah, see, I said that. Um, that's weird. Now, let me say this. I want to I be very clear here. Uh, we're not saying that the Bible is obsolete. We're saying that the covenant that the Bible talks about is obsolete. We still read it. We still go there. And, and if anything, here's the message. When we read the Old Testament, this is, this is what the Old Testament should cause us to do. We don't say, oh, look, we've got to do that because it says, no. The Old Testament should make me go, oh, man, we need Jesus bad. Man, we need Jesus bad. These people, 
They tried and tried and tried and tried. They just could not pull this thing off. They could not get it together. They, they really, really needed Jesus. Oh, what a mess. God, please don't let us make that mess again. Help us to get in touch with you. The Old Testament, it's like a before and after picture. You know, I was going to show you a really hideous one, but I decided not to, you know. Uh, it's before, the before picture, this is what, don't do this, this is bad. Do this, this is good. That's what it is. It, we, we read the Old Covenant to say, wow, ugh, that religion thing didn't work. We really need relationship. We really need Jesus. It allows us to see the difference. Uh, he tells the Pharisees here, you read the Scripture to find me and then follow me. That, that's what we do. We follow Jesus. We don't follow the book. There's a, there's a phrase sometimes. I don't know if you ever, anybody ever heard this. People of the book. Anybody ever heard that? A lot of denominations have it in their literature. Many Christian denominations have that phrase, people of the book, in their literature. Again, sounds kind of good. Sounds, sounds, that sounds biblical. People of the book. Anybody know where that came from? I, got, I, I don't have one, but I'll buy a $5 Starbucks card. Anybody can tell me without looking it up on Google the origin of that phrase. Muhammad originated that phrase. Came from the, comes from the Koran. He's leaving. He's out. You don't count. Hey, I'll, hey, I'll send that thing to Bandon, okay? Forwarding address. They don't have Starbucks there. What? what? Oh, we need to pray for them again. Ooh, man. Now, here's the thing. Uh, Muhammad in the Koran describes uh, Christians, Jews, and Muslims all share the Old Testament. And so we're not Muslims, so they describe us as there is something we share in common. We're people of the book. We share that. That's where it came from. I can understand that. I get that. I go, okay, I can see him making that mistake. But I don't think I want to adopt that approach to describe my relationship with God. Here's the thing boys and girls, and again, I, I, I want you guys to really, I hope you hear me and hear me well. I, I don't want to mislead you, but we're not people of the book. We're people of the person, okay? The book leads us to Jesus. That's the point. Jesus came and said, end of religion. No more. It's over. God doesn't, you don't have to go to the temple. You don't have to follow the law. You don't have to make sacrifices. What you have to do is come to me, follow me. Pray continually. Rejoice always. Give thanks. Follow me. Live your life in me. Live a life of love. That's all you have to do. All that other stuff, forget it. And let me say this. It sounds, maybe to you, that sounds like just a, a tweak, like I'm splitting hairs. It's a, it's a little thing. I tell you, it's, it's a seismic shift. It's cataclysmic when you begin to not think of religion anymore and you understand he came to take it all away, wipe it all out, Life is in Him. Life is in Him. We have life in Him. All we have to do, Jesus came to put an end to religion. All we have to do, we don't, people say religions, they're all the same. No, no, no. Yeah, I guess they are. Here's the thing about being a follower of Jesus. You don't have to go find Him. You don't have to search Him out. You don't have to go on a pilgrimage. He's right here. He came to you. He's with us. He's in us. Man, they got a lot of food today. So, look at 1025. Let's stand. I love you guys. Thank you for letting me be so weird. Anybody that would go to a church with a weird pastor, you have to just, I just thank you. Uh, why don't we do this?
Let's just close. If you, if you want prayer today, if you need somebody to pray with you, we're all family here. We're friends. Just grab somebody on your way out and just say, hey, would you pray with me for a minute? And that's fine. We'll do that. But in the, in the meantime, I think I'm just going to close and we'll take off so we can get set up and help these guys get in here for their party today, okay? Jesus, thanks so much. What a great day. Wonderful time of worship this morning, Lord, and just that opportunity to give gratitude this morning. We love you so much. You're so good. Uh, you're so good. Help us just this week. I pray for each and every person here, uh, our friends and family who aren't here today, if they're working or sick or out or whatever, just help us to walk with you. Help us to walk with you this week, to be in touch with you in a fresh way, a little bit deeper. Just help us to hear your voice, to walk and talk, go for a walk and just talk with Jesus and just sense your presence and, and rejoice in you. Remind us again, Lord, just rejoice and give thanks and pray. That's all you want just to hang out you want to hang out with us those are all relational terms but we just want to be with you uh help our hearts be so filled with gratitude help us not take anything for granted every breath every day just get up and go ah amen thank you jesus what a great day i'm alive and i'm with you amen all right bless you guys love you have a great week